Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason's going to be liberal with the editing. On I just, I, 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 I'm, it's going to be like the Die Hard episode. I'm just going to put a disclaimer on the front that says, "Don't listen to this episode." This episode is this episode is five minutes long. We're horrible, horrible people. Happy, happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> The Incomparable, number 118, December 2012. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome back, everybody. It's the holidays, and this is The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and um, we are going to revive, uh, I guess it only becomes a tradition once you do it more than once, so this is it. We are going to talk about uh, our favorite holiday movies again. Last year, we did an episode called The Holiday Movie Vault, where we each placed an item, uh, a TV show or movie in the holiday vault uh, to, to treasure for always, for all time. And we're going to do it again. We're going to add some more things. The vault is large enough to fit more movies and TV shows than we have in it now. There's plenty of room in the vault. So we're going to throw some more stuff in the vault. Uh, joining me to add items to the vault are Glenn Fleischman. Hi, Glenn. Hello there and ho, ho, ho from this Jewish boy. Ho, ho, Hello. Hello, ho, ho. And also joining us, Andy Anatko. Hello, Andy. Merry Christmas, Jason. Have you been a good host this year? Eh, fair to middling. Oh. Okay, well, you'll, you'll, I'll, I'll, give you the, the, uh, I'll, I'll give you the Logitech USB microphone instead of the uh, Heil 240C that uh, I give the, the good hosts. Wow. This podcast sponsored you by Logitech. It's like a lump of coal in your stocking. Also here is the fine and uh, wise Steve Lutz. Hi, Steve. Wow. Whoopee. A Zeppelin. All (laughs) righty. And if you identify the movie that comes from, you win a free non-existent The Comparable T-shirt. Yeah, that's right. Only the first 50 will win. It's the seventh seal. You guessed it. (laughs) Oh, Bergman knew how knew his way around some dialogue. God, let I, me tell you, I, I was I was gonna say Eraserhead. I'm so glad yeah, I didn't say it because boy, would I be feeling foolish right now. Mm. Uh, also joining me, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. I don't have anything clever to say. No clever. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and uh, very happy to have Lisa Schmeiser with us too. Hi, Lisa. Happy Winter Solstice, everyone. <laughs> Merry Pagan Festival of Darkness <laughs> to all. Good Yule! Good Yule! My greetings out there to all you non-critical thinkers. How I pity and hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Critically, of course. I'm throwing a Richard Dawkins special in the holiday movie vault. It's terrible. It'll poison everything that's in there. It's a Carl Sagan Christmas. (laughs) Billions and billions of Christmas specials. (laughs) Well, that's true. And that's just Rankin Mm -hmm. Bass. Uh, So... Uh, I, I want to recap before we uh, do our inductees for the year 2012 into our Holiday Movie Vault, which uh, I should say, I called it the Holiday Movie Vault, and Steve Lutz pointed out that uh, I said movies or TV, and so when we inducted a TV show last year that that uh, was one of Steve's choices, that was not cheating, it was perfectly valid, and it's my fault for calling it the hol- Holiday Movie Vault includes television, that's just how it is, it's called the Holiday Movie Vault, it includes television that's how we roll. I'm going to recap the movies that are already in the vault. First off, we have an honorary inductee because at Christmas in 2010, we did a whole episode about Die Hard and what a great uh, holiday movie Die Hard was. So I'm going to put that uh, – I'm going to mark that down as being Dan Moran's selection from uh, year zero of the holiday movie vault and, uh, and put Die Hard in the vault. Uh, last year's choices, Glenn inducted Elf. The Will Ferrell comedy, 
about a uh, an elf that looks like Will Ferrell. He's very tall. And James Caan is very angry. It's the Wrath of Caan, <laughs> which we, I think, did a whole episode about. Uh, Dan Frakes inducted When Harry Met Sally, which is largely set around uh, Christmas and New Year's, and I thought that was a great choice. Andy Anatko inducted Groundhog Day because Groundhog Day is also a holiday. And also a great movie. Uh, Serenity Caldwell had It's a Wonderful Life. Steve Letts went the TV route with the Charlie Brown Christmas. Excellent choice. And I brought in Miracle on 34th Street. So you can, uh, you can learn all about the Holiday Movie Vault last year. That's incomparable number 71. 71. Look it up, people. Uh, and, that, and that brings us to today, where we have new selections for the Holiday Movie Vault. And I'm wondering... Um, who would like to go first and tell us what thing that they love that they want to permanently preserve in our very high quality vault that we ordered on the internet? Is this like is this by the same people who made the Disney vault, or could we could we not afford that? Unfortunately, it's a pole vault actually, so it's really not That's really <laughs> awkward. It's the people who made the the KTEL Gold Record Solid Gold Vaults. Interesting. Uh, sure, I'll I'll go first. Uh, I was shocked, shocked. I tell you. To find that nobody last year picked the seminal 1983 classic, A Christmas Story, um, which you've seen because it runs for 24 hours during Christmas <laughs> on TBS. Yes, it does. And there's so nothing wrong with that. It's impossible for you not to have seen it. Oh, yeah. I love watching it like two in the morning. It's great. It really well. The best part about it is that you can start watching it at some point, and then yes. you know, then you can go to bed. Then you can get up you later can and dip, watch the rest. You can of dip it. in and out, and you know you come bumpuses. We did the most ridiculous thing. We bought a DVD of it one year, and I have no idea why we did that. It's crazy. That is just ridiculous. And that ruins the experience. I know. What was that about? So it perfectly supports that sort of dipping in and out, right? Because it's kind of while it is an overarching has an overarching plot, there are like sort of these little scenes that serve as vignettes. So it it really does a good job of letting you sort of drop in and pick up just, you know, a thread and then you could just let it go and then come back later and and watch another thread. Uh, And it's 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 just a lovely movie. It's episodic is what you're saying. Exactly. I I remember it. I remember it scaring me a little bit when I was a kid because of the Santa scene, the Santa scene. Where he, where he kicks him down the slide. That was a little... Oh, 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 oh. Very nice. Um, and also the shooting your eye out was very oh. traumatic for me. Oh, oh yeah. A, you shoot your eye out with that thing. I had a BB gun and I had that same fear. It was like, we don't want to get him. It's dangerous. And then I got it and I'm like, oh, it's dangerous. I hope I don't misuse it and accidentally somehow shoot an eye out of mine or someone else's eye. Oh, no. Here's the deal. Ken Jennings. Ken Jennings. Jeopardy winner. Yeah. Ken Jennings, Glenning. Commence Glenning. Glenning. his new book out about childhood myths, things our parents told us that were wrong, and just came out a couple days ago, and one of them is about shoot your eye out with BB gun. It is, in fact, true. Most of the myths in his book he disproves, but in fact, there are enormous number of emergency room visits of people having shot their eye with air guns and BB guns. Well, your eyes are pretty sensitive, so it's not really that surprising. Are we talking about the air, those air, those intense airsoft rifles, or are we talking about like the little like one pump? The ones that you can pump up, and I mean, BB yeah. guns, anything pump you can action, pump up. And, BB yeah. rifle, yeah. Some of these guns can produce like a crazy amount of PSI, so it is an actual worry. And that was this week's installment of Glenning with Jennings. <laughs> hey, Glenn weren't, you, Glenn, weren't you on Jeopardy once? Never, I don't know. I've erased all memory of that experience. Me too. Oh, oh, no. I all right, a, a couple things I really love about this movie. One, I really love... The, the little brother, Randy, who is, I think, my favorite character in the entire oh, movie. Because yeah. the scene that got me into this movie was... Is it where he's under the sink? No, that one's one of them. But the better one for me is always, I can't put my arms down. Yes. Yeah. You can put your arms down when you get to school. 
<laughs> but also, Daddy's gonna kill Ralphie, which is something. Daddy's that my, that gonna is a, kill Ralphie. That is a, that is a, around my family, my extended family. That that quote comes up fairly often around around Christmas time. Can we get some praise for Darren McGavin? Darren oh, McGavin is an excellent yes. man. What a great! I mean, he's Marvelous. a great actor and underappreciated. But this, it's so actually great. And he passed away a few years ago. Um, it's so great it's that his delivery that that oh, he he's a, the kind of actor who deserved to be in a in a classic in a timeless classic. And this is it. The box that says fragile. It must, it must be, be Italian. Italian. The duck is smiling at us. <laughs> <laughs> And Bumpus's dog is a little mascus. Bumpus. The the McGavin scene that always comes back to me is, of course, the uh, changing the tire on the car. <laughs> oh, fudge. only he didn't say fudge. <laughs> yeah, McGavin's great, and he's particularly great in this because the uh, I think for me the best thing about this film is the is the relationship between Ralphie and Dad. I mean, uh, most um, at least American males. Uh, and certainly myself, you know, dad is basically this sort of vague presence that uh, that appears after work in the evenings and seems to exist solely to scowl at you and tell you you're doing things wrong. Yep. And uh, that's me. And it's just it's absolutely <laughs> beautiful where, you know, he's he's asking for the gun from every single entity he can uh, he can consider. And uh, he never even thinks of the dad. And in the end, it's the dad <laughs> who's aware enough of his son's needs and wants to to be the one that uh, sneaks the gun into the house. I think that's just great. It's so it's uh it, it's it just encapsulates the whole father-son relationship thing to a T. And and it does a good job making him three-dimensional too, right? Like, you know, like you're saying there. It's just he's he's an actual character there and I don't I don't know. I mean, I assume like many of you probably that there is an element of that that reminds me of my own relationship with my father. <laughs> so I came to this movie really late. I, this movie was already a classic and I hadn't seen it until like five years ago or something. And and I, you had that moment where you're thinking, well, is it really all? And it, it is. It's great. It, it feels like it's a document that fell out of a, you know, a, a time warp from like 50 years ago because of the setting and all of that. And it, it and as a result, it is so timeless and it's great, and and the fact is, yeah, it it has so many of those vignettes in it that it it's in some ways whoever thought to run it twenty four hours a day uh, over Christmas on TBS is a genius because you really can kind of chop it up in a blender and it doesn't matter. It's just kind of charming and fun and nice to see it. And I use sometimes I use the word charming a lot to describe certain kinds of movies and TV shows, but I really believe there's something to be said for for that kind of quality of like it just makes me feel good to watch it and it. It's nice and it's enjoyable and it's nostalgic in a way and it's just it's got all those uh, all those pieces to it. It's got it's got a great geek tie-in too that I that I discovered recently, which I hadn't thought about, which is that the the character of Scut Farkas, the bully who beats him up, <laughs> did not realize until recently he, that he appears in those two sort of flash forward episodes of Dollhouse, the ones with <laughs> Felicia Day. <laughs> He is, he's like, because he, he's this tall, redheaded kid. And like, for some reason, when, especially when I was growing up, because this movie is set, it's from the 80s, but it is set much earlier. I always sort of assumed, because it's done so well as a movie of that time, I always assumed it was from that era. And so when I realized that, no, this is from the 80s, and thus the actors, you know, who are now in their 30s or 40s, you know, like, it's really strange to see them then on TV shows that are modern and like... Wait a second. How is that guy only like 30 now? That doesn't make any sense. That was the only thing that caused me to disconnect from that movie because the mom has this 1980 Kate, Kate Capshaw style hair 
that says they didn't wear hair like that in the 40s, did they? And the dad is he's, he's perfectly cast, but he's kind of old to have such a young son, maybe? The age difference always intrigued me because she he's so much older than his wife. And the only way I can explain it is maybe he spent the 30s thinking he'll never have a family. The depression was on. You couldn't start a family then. It's just because he's an Oldsmobile man. It ages you. I have a vague semi-historical explanation for well, this, it. Well, this, these were the days when, like, you know, uh, people used to die in childbirth, like, at a very, very high rate. So you have to marry a lot of different women just to ensure that one of them would survive to raise the children. The 1950s? It's the really? 40s, I think. Yes, yeah, the 40s. 40s. This is way more thought than I'd ever given to this. They, you know, you know, you, you do know physicians were washing their hands by that point, right? I mean, childbed fever wasn't still a thing. Gene Shalit, or Gene Shalit, sorry, the uh, the author, Gene Shepard, Gene Shepherd, who is a terrific writer. He's got a lot of great books. I like he, to um, imagine Gene Shalit's Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very different movie. Yeah. This year, you're going to have a ho ho holiday thanks to the Christmas story. Uh, there's my house. I'm wearing that crazy kid bow tie. Shepard served in Korea, didn't he? He was in no, sorry, he's in World War. Two, <clears throat> he was in the Signal Corps. So, in fact, these stories he was telling them in the '60s. The movie was made in the '80s, but he was really talking about the '30s originally. I don't know. The movie's set in sort of an indeterminate time that seems mm-hmm. like it might be the '50s, but it, these are about this is really the '30s. He was born in 21. So he's nostalgic for someone else's childhood. Well, now I have to recalibrate. I'm thinking that the old man is shell shocked from his trench warfare in World War One. That's that's my new historical. That's he had trench foot and. Uh, <laughs> Mustard gas he wrote, poisoning. He wrote poems next to Siegfried Sassen, and they just weren't appreciated. And now he <laughs> isn't it suspicious that he didn't actually know Italian? Then I mean, think Fragile. about it. Clearly, he appears to have been. I have nothing. I got nothing. I've just run it out of steam so, there. Stan, you drop. You drop that the that kid was on Fringe, but I think last year we no, also uh, uh, Dollhouse, Dollhouse, or Dollhouse, right? But we, last year we we uh, we dealt with the fact that Peter Billingsley is in Elf. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And right. apparently, like lawyer? apparently, mm-hmm. an Iron Man too. <laughs> the, origi- the original Iron Man. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, Scott Schwartz, who plays Flick, went on to do some uh, some future yes, film work as well. Fine work, apparently. <laughs> Though not necessarily genre specific. The kind of but it's enjoyed by tonight. geeks. Billingsley is friends with, I think, John Favreau, the yes. Iron Man director, because yeah, they do uh, the he's actually uh, a co-producer, commentary. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, anything more to say about a Christmas story? Please. Quick. <laughs> Quick. It's a good movie. I like it. It's a fantastic yeah. movie. I like the Wizard of Oz. Yes. I don't know how we missed it the first time. <laughs> I like the Tin Man. <laughs> I'm, Next. I'm busy now. <laughs> All right. So, so a Christmas story, Dan Morin in the in the uh, holiday movie vault uh, forever. Clang. Unless we discover that it did steroids, and then we might take it out later. But otherwise, <laughs> it's in forever. Uh, who who would like to choose next? I would like to choose next. I right. stand, step forward, striding valiantly oh. into the vault and lock me in. Yes. Uh, so my film. The, the vault film is air-conditioned. Go <laughs> ahead. There's no air, but it's air-conditioned. Holiday Inn, a 1942 American musical, <laughs> uh, which is a terrific film. It's got Bing Crosby in it. It's got Fred Astaire. It's music's by Irving Berlin. It's like the Christmassiest, American musicaliest thing you could possibly Imagine, and it also is not just about Christmas; it's about all kinds of holidays. 
uh, being called Holiday Inn. So the, the conceit is that Bing Crosby, he's tired of the big city life up there in Manhattan, and he wants to move out to the country like Greenwich, Connecticut or somewhere, where it's still a country <laughs> and everything's quiet and small in those days. And uh, so he wants to start a farm, and the farm doesn't do so well, so he decides that he'll take his acting and singing talent and produ- production talent, and uh, having left Fred Astaire running a club in the big city and having lost his girl to Fred Astaire, he sets up shop with the idea that he'll run an inn just on holidays like Christmas and uh, Groundhog's Day, maybe. I don't know. And um, that's, a, that's a business model that can't fail. It can't fail. That's what spawned that successful, uh, <laughs> that successful hotel chain named after it, La Quinta. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, oh no, wait, I put that wrong. Sorry. Uh, it is disconcerting though that now Holiday Inn has an entirely different meaning than what it actually meant when the movie was made. It was yeah. confusing the first time I saw the movie. I thought something was well, wrong. Well, that hotel, that hotel used to only be open on the holidays too, and then they decided, you know what, <laughs> we're paying all the staff just to sleep in the beds for twenty nine days out of the month. It's a pretty thing. Well, you have that long gap in April. And May. So uh, the movie's full of fantastic music. They, uh, the one that's best known for, of course, is White Christmas. And there's this tremendously wonderful, surreal bit at the end where uh, the Fred Astaire character, whose name is Ted Hanover, they've created Jim Hardy and Ted Hanover, uh, convinces Hollywood to make a movie about Holiday Inn, in the movie Holiday Inn. And so they cut and show you a set at some point, and the set is the set we've been watching the entire movie. And then they pull back, and you see that it's a set. But they're showing you a set as a set because they're filming it with all the cameras in it as if they were filming the set. It is a little surreal for a movie made in 1942. <laughs> I, but I like that bit, too. But full of great music, and we try to watch it every year. It's one of the films in my house that uh, my wife and I try to bring up every year because it's music, and it's just a silly plot. And... um it's got uh, you know great singing, dancing, that kind of thing in it. Also racism, right? Also race. Oh no! Are we, wait, shouldn't we just brush that under the carpet? No. <laughs> like the yeah. also racism. Also, well, it's a funny thing. So it's got a scene. It's so they an do American these, tradition, really. They do to, be, these, to be fair, Christmas Story also has its uh, brief racist scene too. So what's the racism? Sort of racism. I was thinking about the Chinese restaurant. Chinese, oh, right. yeah. uh, yes. Which is like a, the halls well, of I feel Safari. bad because it, it is hilarious, but at the same time, yes, terribly racist. So then basically, you're saying that this is the racist wing of the holiday movie vault. I'm basically saying that Christmas is racist. Wow. Now, wait a minute. Having been white Chinese, Christmas, hello, lump of coal. I mean. Come on. Having been in Chinese restaurants as a Jew before I married someone who is non-Jewish, uh, on Christmas Day, I will say that the you know the Christmas story scene is relatively accurate in many regards. <laughs> so the so the, in Holiday Inn, the issue is, of course, Lincoln's birthday, where the performers apply blackface and sing a song called Abraham, and um, it's a little terrifying. Now, the, the Turner movie classics from, uh, I was just looking this up to make sure I got this right, they um, refuse to edit movies. They want to show them unedited. So they, in fact, will show the film with this, um, oh, sorry, or, uh, yeah, Turner classic movies and AMC will uh, show the movie with the Abraham scene in it, and uh, it's usually cut. And the first time I saw it, I'd seen Holiday in for years and years, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, I don't remember them doing Abraham Lincoln's birthday. I don't remember <laughs> Bing Crosby putting on blackface. Oh, no. no. Yeah. And, and, the, and, and the thing about that scene is, like, it's it opens up with Bing Crosby singing. And, and first of all, Bing Crosby singing anything that – you know you've screwed up when you do anything that overshadows Bing Crosby singing, one of the best vocalists in the 20th century. And so it's bad enough because he's, he's, he's in this Uncle Remus costume, and it's bad. 
and you're you're like, oh my god, what a different era this was. This is horrifying. This is horrible. And then he sort of gets to the end of the song and realizes, okay, they're going to move on to whatever the next holiday is. And then the female lead comes on stage <laughs> yes. in a four hundred <laughs> times worse, yes. most ra- more racist stereotype. You're like, oh, this it's it's like a it's like a real springtime for Hitler moment where your jaw is you're just numb and your jaw is like on your chest because the brain is saying, I'm not seeing there's not. Uh, yeah, yeah, like so, some part of you is willing to like at least hit that keyboard macro in your head, saying, "Okay, totally different time. Racism was far, 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 far different than that it was now." And then you're like, "I had no. Uh, yeah. How did this get released? And people not just it's like oh, we can, we can excuse now. a little bit, and then you're like, "Okay, not that much." No, but it's <laughs> no. but I think there is a there is a, a thing of the time, which is that minstrelism had a long history. It wasn't per se racist. There was a point where it developed into that. We could have a whole discussion about that. Black people actually dressed up as minstrels and performed uh it's, it's a very odd thing but the weird part to me is not just that but then while these people are singing in blackface behind them are the black servants in the house including uh louise ellen beavers i had to look up her name here who's, who plays mammy in like every movie during her lifetime and um including this one and her kids are singing along and of course they're black they're not in blackface they're black with these white people in blackface singing and it's not set up to be funny it's an absolutely serious moment so if you take it for what it is it's actually fine it's just terrifying insight into what was acceptable portrayal it wasn't it wasn't a parody or lampoon but anyway it is it is an odd moment in a movie uh but you know we're we're not confronted with having to see it it actually turns out that all your favorite movies have blackface scenes that have been cut and <laughs> only are shown Ghostbusters, the diehard the diehard blackface scene is it's, awkward that's yeah, really brutal. actually you know the worst one is in 2001 a space odyssey <laughs> that is the most offensive blackface scene i have ever ever seen but you got to get the bootleg davy davy yeah yeah it's really it's really horrible I, you, you know it's funny i think i think we may have uh touched on this briefly in a previous podcast but it is fascinating not, not to get off of holiday movies and into crippling racism and culture but <laughs> that's what every podcast evolves into uh the one that always gets me it again not a um not holiday themed per se but uh actually a tradition that that i i got from uh from lisa's husband Oh, duck soup. Which is which is uh, which is the oh. Marx Brothers and duck soup. And, and every duck- yes, every New right. Year's Eve we watch we watch duck soup and, uh, and the Marx Brothers duck soup. And there is there's actually a number in there that does have a, a slightly horrific blackface scene right in the middle of it with with all four Marx Brothers. Yes, and there are, there are several wow. other Marx Brothers movies with um, similar uh, either lines or or in fact in one movie a whole production number. Date the races. That and and that one blows me yeah. away because it's like guys, you're Jewish. You yourself are an oppressed group. Do you not see what you're doing here? But it again, it's just sort That's of funny. I watched all those movies as a kid, and I have no recollection of this. I feel like my parents were the type of parents that would like sit me down and have had a talk about it. But apparently, just totally- Lisa, I'm almost, I'm almost tempted to change my vote to duck soup. And duck soup has nothing to do with the holidays at all. But it's a wonderful holiday tradition, yes, and it's a, it it, is. and it's such an absurd movie too. That it's that's one of the movie. things I like about it. It's a great, oh, great God. New Year's Eve thing, and it's short. That was my favorite Marx Brothers movie growing that's, up. Yeah, that's where I got one of my Twitter icons because for one of my Twitter streams, I have Margaret Dumont as my icon oh. from, from that movie. <laughs> Margaret yeah. Dumont. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good. 
Um, Captain Spaulding. A lock of my hair. <laughs> I was going to ask for the whole wig. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mark, Marx Brothers, yes. Other than the, other than the occasional bits of, of quite disturbing racism. Uh, lovely, <laughs> uh, lovely stuff. And Holiday Inn. So I guess we have to induct mm-hmm. Holiday Inn. Glenn, are we inducting it without um, Mr. Lincoln's birthday? I think or it's with. an important part of the historical asterisk? record. I think, well, you'll be able to see it if you rent it. I, I don't know what the DVD is like. And if you rent it, rent it. I don't know if you can rent it. If you watch it on television or get the DVD, uh, it's, you know, it's part of the history of entertainment, what people watched at the time, what our grandparents watched when it was first out. So I think we induct it without the scene with the important recollection that the movie was made with this scene. All right. Fair enough. As the inductee, you get to decide how we, how we view this movie for all time. So thank you. One, one, one last note on yes. Holiday Inn, which I, which I found fascinating. They actually took the exact same sets years later when they made uh, White Christmas. Uh, and the Holiday, the, the holiday Inn like club is the exact same set they use for uh, the General's lo- the Ski Lodge uh, in White Christmas. So if, if the, uh, they, they turned it around a little bit, but it is exactly stick for stick, the, the same one. And you can tell because... In holiday in White Christmas, which is a Technicolor movie, they didn't even bother to paint this black and white set. It is. It looks like a black and white movie with like the only with, that's been colorized with like human skin tones in it. Yeah, I should also point out that that Andy Anatko has his own uh, equivalent of a holiday movie vault, and it's a uh, it's down in his basement, and that's where White Christmas has been locked up, and he doesn't feed it. Exactly, <laughs> it's chained up. It puts the lotion on its skin. <laughs> <laughs> and it never ever gets aired again. No. It's 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 the same it's the same vault that like they used to put the Hulk in like in the first issues of the comic to prevent it from getting out and wreaking havoc upon innocent people. I it's the same philanthropy with which I protect people from White Christmas. Thank you. We appreciate it. I'm do, do you spoil spoiler alert? Are you going to ruin somebody's uh, beloved holiday movie again this year? <laughs> uh, I, I actually have had many requests to like re to like repeat that episode. I am actually in the early stages of preparing uh, what a Twitter follower presciently <laughs> described as the detractors commentary uh, of White Christmas. I'm going to do my own like riff tracks. That's not oh. joking. It just simply goes shot by shot. Beautiful. And saying, okay, now here's here's the part where I think you can kind of see where you can kind of see Bing Crosby's butt underneath those tidy whities <laughs> because the director just didn't care how he was framing it. Didn't even give him a new pair of underpants so they wouldn't sag so much. Ah, there it is. Everybody look forward to that. That'll be Merry that'll be a stocking stuffer for next year. Exactly. Preview. Of Andy Anako's yep. next destruction. It's going to be a big project. It's going to be good. Uh, let's go from the uh, from horrible racist scenes in ho- beloved holiday <laughs> movies to Steve Lutz. <laughs> what well, natural transition? I don't know how I feel about that. What do you What do you got, Steve? <laughs> Uh, well, actually, it might turn out to be a better segue than you think, but only very tenuously. Oh boy. Okay. So here we go. Look, I, I mentioned the, <laughs> no no Skeletor involved. <laughs> I mentioned at the end of last year's Holiday Vault that, that I was bitter that A Christmas Story didn't get mentioned, and I really wanted to induct that this year. But uh, then I caught wind that Dan might want to choose it. So in the spirit of Christmas, I decided to let him have it because um, I'm a giver. But I did pick another film from the great Bob Clark, uh, whose filmography, it has been marked with peaks and valleys. Uh, but I believe the peaks are very high indeed. I'm talking about like a Christmas story. Uh, he did Porky's, um, Baby Geniuses 2, Electric Baby Lou, I think was his. Um, 
one of those peaks is the film I have chosen for this year's holiday movie vault, and that is 1974's Black Christmas. You were an American international production, starring. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a delightful tale of a uh, sorority house at Christmas break. And the psychotic killer living in the attic who periodically emerges to kill the ones that didn't go home for the holiday. Was the call coming from inside the house? This is great. This is great. Is is the killer... See, so he st- the killer starts to kill the girls in the sorority house. Why don't the rest of them leave saying there is a killer? There was a horrible ki- murder here. Or There's it, a good reason for that, Jason. Oh, no, it's it's actually brilliant. The because it is Christmas break and the girls are you know periodically leaving the sorority house to go home oh, for the holidays home. or go skiing, um, and naturally just before most of them get dispatched, they say something along the lines of "I might not be here when you get back because my dad's coming to pick me up," and then lo and behold, when the person gets oh, back, that that person isn't diabolical. there, but is in fact there because the killer is keeping his uh, his his trophies in the attic. Oh. Just like John McCain. And no one ever notices the smell or dripping or anything like that? No, apparently not. Apparently not. Although, Dexter's uh, lab up there. It's it's perfectly clear. (laughs) And it's apparently soundproof as well because this guy does, as Glenn mentioned, make quite a few phone calls to the the residents of the sorority house. Uh, (laughs) It's It's really awkward when it's on a party line, too. Right, mom, get off the phone. I'm gonna kill you. I'm on. I'm on the phone. <laughs> but no, this is this is easily the best of the Christmas-based horror movies, and I think one of the best horror movies of the '70s period. Um, I hesitate to call it a slasher film because I think it is higher quality than most of those. But pretty much every slasher that came afterwards cribbed from it. I mean, the Black Christmas I think introduced the sorority house setting. Um, the camera shots taken from the point of view of the killer, which I think most people will attribute to Halloween, was done here four years earlier. Um, the repeated phone calls from the killer, as I mentioned, and, and these are much, much worse than just the you know, check the kids. This is actually some really creepy schizophrenic sounding stuff where the guy uses multiple voices and speaks as a child sometimes, then occasionally just drops into totally normal speech patterns. Um, and indeed, Glenn, the call is coming from inside the house. So you were you were correct there. I was worried for a second you were going to pick a Blackula Christmas. No, no, it's that's a good one too, though. Okay. I, you know what? I was just—I'm not—I'm not super familiar with this, but I went and looked at the Wikipedia page while we're talking and noticed that this, in a tie-in to our earlier discussion, Cure Delia is in this movie. Cure Delia, <laughs> yes, <laughs> of 2001 fame. Also, uh, Olivia Hussey, who was in uh, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. Margot mm-hmm. Kidder. And Margot Kidder here wow, playing uh, here playing uh, away from type as a drunk um, kind of lunatic. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is the darkest holiday movie vault ever. Oh, it's wonderful! It's a wonderful film. Who does Andrea Martin play in this film, though? I haven't seen it, and she's got a Martin. Andrea Martin Bill. is the somewhat attractive, semi-amusing friend. Wow, the, the sorority oh, girl uh, with the curly hair and the glasses. Who um, she's really more of an accessory. She doesn't really get right. used to her too. I, to I think uh, this is a fascinating choice. Her talents, but it's it's a wonderful <laughs> yeah, that's horror film. This is a Christmas Eve, uh, genuinely special. a scary one. Um, it's it's a, it's a good thing to throw on the DVD player while you're wrapping gifts. While you're stabbing gifts with a knife over <laughs> when you're over assemb- over when you're so when the kids are asleep upstairs and you're assembling all the toys. There you go. <laughs> after, after you've put together the bike with the Japanese instructions and you're in a bitter bitter mood, this is the uh, this is the way to go. <laughs> At least somebody's having a worse Christmas Eve than I am. Just don't have a don't have the volume up too loud, or one of your kids will come downstairs <laughs> and be like, "What are you? Oh God, what are you watching?" <laughs> It does have very little blood. 
So if you happen to be somebody who's squeamish, this actually is a pretty decent film for, for you know, horror beginners. And uh, contrary to uh, the template that Halloween started, the virgin dies first. So it's actually an improvement over what came later. It was between this and Home Alone. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin! I think you did a good job. By by another psychopath that keeps picking people off one by one during the holidays inside a house. That's right. Die Hard 2, also somebody skulks around killing people inside a big house. That's I an think we found the common There's a thread. slight difference. Holiday and no yes. one is killed, to my knowledge. <laughs> Except in the scene that they removed Glenn. That's I right, mean, all the murder scene. They all right. die. I, I briefly are. considered Die Hard 2 for my choice this year, but uh, decided that it's not as good as Die Hard 1. It's not. The sequels really are. <laughs> it's still, still decent. Wow. Still better than a lot of crappy uh, action movies, but, you know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't quite capture the magic. I think we should move on because I'm getting sad. <laughs> yes, I know. It's, it's dark. It's getting dark in here. Let's, let's, uh, let's go to Andy next. Hey, you didn't put it uh, in the vault. It is in the vault. I, I'm entering it in the vault now. It's in the back of the vault. Didn't you hear He's the using screams to put it in the vault? Didn't you hear oh, the screams of horror from the vault when it uh, entered? I thought maybe I'm, there was I'm, an I'm, alternative vault that you were putting that in. I'm telling you, I'm I'm looking forward to downloading this podcasting and hear all those special sound effects you're going to be laying in mm. here. The creaking, the vault, and the screaming, and that's going to be just awesome. It is. I, I envy you, podcast listener. Ah! Oh, Holiday Inn has just mysteriously disappeared from the vault. <laughs> It's coming from inside the vault. Oh no! It's cool though. It was it was going to nip out for uh, you know some eggnog, so it'll yeah. probably be back later. It's going to get a phone call though. It's coming from inside the vault. So <laughs> yeah, Andy, what do you got? Well, uh, <laughs> what do you got? Top it, top it. <laughs> what what horrible what yes, horrible yes. thing will be emanating from your heartwarming Christmas special? <laughs> Well, uh, I, we, we talked this afternoon, and you reminded me that I actually talked about the SCTV holiday special uh, last year. So let, let's consider that already there, even though it was sort of snuck in under an asterisk. Um, I decided in in lieu of that to talk about what is actually a legitimate, sincere, beloved holiday TV classic for me. Every year this this show comes on, Every year, I not only watch it, I am like there 10 minutes early. I'm excited like a kid for this show to come on. And when this show ends, I am just so happy and so thankful that Christmas exists. And it really is Christmas when this show airs. And again, it sounds like I'm going to be sarcastic then say, it's about the Seals and Crofts robot robot Christmas <laughs> cartoon of 1974. No, no, no. I'm being sincere here. It is the last show of late show with david letterman before christmas it is the unofficial david letterman holiday special never announced never promote promoted that way but they do the exact same show each and every season each with a certain segment that you know it's coming but it's the greatest thing ever so they there's uh, paul schaefer is going to tell from from behind the piano is going to tell the story about him watching the share christmas special the sunny and share christmas special in the mid 70s always the same script as oh it always kills he will mention that she was in she was in victorian clothes her hands were in a muff pause for the laugh from the audience yep. <laughs> Every time. Okay. 
Jay, Jay Thomas comes on as a guest. He tells the story about the time that he and his friend gave the Lone Ranger a ride back from a from a car show appearance. <laughs> then he and Dave, he and Dave will like take turns throwing footballs at a at a Christmas tree with a giant meatball on the top of it. They're going to take turns throwing these footballs and trying to knock the meatball off the tree. And sometimes Jay, sometimes sometimes Jay Thomas gets it. Sometimes David Letterman gets it. But you can see every single time they really really want to be the one who hits who knocks the meatball off the tree this year. And then, but the but the the best part of all. Darlene Love singing Christmas Baby, Please, Please Come, come Home. home. Yeah. And maybe the maybe the first time they ever did this, it was done like almost any other you know musical appearance on the show. Extremely well produced, well done, but not, nothing spectacular about it. But you can sort of you can also tell that everyone associated with this show wants this to be the best five minutes they do every single year. There's they bring in a chorus, they bring in orchestra, they bring in soloists, they find a new way to get the saxophone player in for his big saxophone solo. I'm really looking forward to it, especially this year, because the sax, their regular saxophone player left uh, earlier this season, and now there's a new guy in there. I don't know if he's going to fill in or whether they're going to get the old guy back in yet. You can tell by there's, there's a smile on my face that's about eight miles wide. I love this each and every year, and possibly it's because... Uh, one common thread through a lot of these things that we've been talking about, our, our favorite, favorite Christmas shows, a lot of it is just it's associated with so many really great memories that we a Christmas story comes on at some point and we're going to be seeing it through the course of the day. It's going to be tied into whatever we do on Christmas each and every year. The Letterman shows, I've been watching the show since I was a kid. It was, didn't exist before, uh, be, uh, before I was a teenager. Uh, and... It wasn't designed to be this this commercial sort of thing that's going to sell products and sell advertising. It just feels as though it just grew naturally and organically, and everybody, including the audience, is just enjoying every damn second of it. So I'm looking forward to it. If, if ever I, I got my schedule screwed up and I missed it, I would really have to petition like the internet saying, did somebody record this and post the video because I can't have my Christmas until I see the Letterman Christmas show. It's amazing that they, you know, they essentially do the same show every year. Every year. Why not? Dave does the same show every night. Well, that's true. Oh, zing. You got a point. Burn. There. <laughs> that's right, Dave. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. He couldn't hear you over the sound of the Kennedy Center honor that he received. <laughs> As one of the leading contributors to American entertainment. No, I just didn't hear about that because I stopped watching him 10 years ago when he stopped yeah. being funny. Yeah. Mm. Burn. Oh, zing. Fighting, oh, burn. Fighting words. Lisa, what do you have to contribute to the, uh, the, the increasingly uh, crowded and comparable vault? holiday movie vault? The 1968 classic, The Lion in Winter. Ooh, um, good one. <laughs> thank you. It's the story of um, Christmas with Henry II, Eleanor of Aquitaine, and their three squabbling surviving sons. Um, to give you a little backstory, Henry and Eleanor are one of history's original fun couples. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um she tried to have him overthrown, and in turn, he had her imprisoned. But because they were big on appearances, he freed her for Christmas every year. And during so this this takes place with her being you know rode on a barge up from prison to the family stronghold, where Henry has been shacking up with his son's fiance. This is fine by his son Richard because Richard wasn't exactly into the ladies. Um, 
And over the course of the next, uh, I want to say, 36 hours that the movie takes place, the sons conspire to kill one or both of their parents. Henry and Eleanor squabble, reconcile, squabble, reconcile, blah, 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 ad infinitum. And the whole thing is just a meditation on the madness of going home for the holidays and seeing the relatives you know you know will drive you nuts. And the, the dialogue, uh, Catherine Hepburn plays Eleanor of Aquitaine. Peter O'Toole is brilliant as Henry II. Uh, a comparatively young Anthony Anthony Hopkins is Richard. Um, Timothy, oh God, Timothy Dalton, that's his name. Timothy Dalton plays the King of France, who happens to have been having things to do with Richard on the side. Um, and and you you come for the you you come for the uh, 1183 imagery. You stay for the dialogue because it's got some of the best lines that you're ever going to hear in cinema. Um, oh, I love that bit where she throws herself down and says, "Every family has its ups uh, and downs." downs. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's there's a scene where after 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 the sons have imprisoned both Henry and Eleanor and and stuck them in the in, in the dungeons to figure out what to do with them. Um, there's this beautiful scene where Catherine Hepburn turns to uh, Peter O'Toole and says, "I have a confession." I'm afraid I don't much like our children. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> well, this I think Aaron Sorkin frequently quotes the line about the uh, about the man falling down, which I believe is from here. Which when is, yeah, it's it's when the falls when the all falls you got all that left. That, yeah, it matters that a great it have, deal. how you fall. Um, one of the lines that we used to uh, "What shall we hang the holly or each other?" is is one that comes up a lot. <laughs> um, I'm not a huge Catherine Hepburn fan. I think she. Te- I think she. I, th- no, I think she veers towards the gimmicky. I mean, it's a hell of a screen. It's a hell of a screen presence. But I'm always going to prefer Rosalind Russell to uh, Catherine Hepburn in terms of grand old dames. And um, but I have to say that I can't see Ros Russell doing this one. And um, there's a point where Kat, where um, Eleanor is fondly recalling uh, when she went on the Crusades because she was a huge backer of the Second Crusade, and she went out and it was kind of a big deal at the time. And the line is, I even made poor Louis, her first husband, king of France. Um, Louis, take me on crusade. How's that for blasphemy? I dressed my maids as Amazons and rode bare-breasted halfway to Damascus. Louis had a seizure and I damn near died of windburn. But the troops were dazzled. And it's just a really <laughs> it's the Every line is this beautiful setup in the knockdown and setup in the knockdown. Um, and, and the music is fantastic. Uh, best of all, it's not a Renfair or an SCA type of, oh, the nobility is clean and and the sets are gorgeous and everyone wears gowns. I, it's just, it's grimy. The only way you can tell Henry is that the king is because he bothers to put on a circlet. He's just as grimy and, and, and disheveled as everybody else. There are dogs sleeping under the table. People are sleeping on piles of straw on the floor. It's, it's very true to life, to what it was. And I think that adds something to it as well. It's Again, if you are going if you're going home for the holidays only with the greatest of reluctance, or you are stealing yourself for some inevitable relative showing up, watch this movie ahead of time because uh, you will be smirking to yourself the rest of the holiday season. <laughs> and this is a uh, screenplay is uh, James Goldman, who's the mm-hmm. the brother of William Goldman. Yeah, there's um there's a remake they did a couple of years ago. The BBC did where uh, I believe it's the BBC. It's Patrick Stewart as Henry II and Glenn Close as Eleanor. Um, I haven't forked out for the DVD yet, and I'd love to see Patrick Stewart do it. I'm just not not sure I want to see Glenn Close, if that <laughs> makes sense. but uh, Maybe YouTube can do a mashup where it's uh, Patrick Stewart and Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> not an engage, but um, it's well worth I'm not I'm not sure Turner Classic Movies is going to show it during the holiday season, but they usually show it during their, their 31 days of Oscar. So 
keep an eye runs, out for it. It runs for 24 hours and you just dip in whenever dip you want. Dip in, dip out, yeah. <laughs> why, is, why, is, why is Jeffrey advocating mutiny? What is going on? So, why are they at a Chinese restaurant? I don't understand this movie. <laughs> I have never seen this movie. I, I, I am blown away. I need to see this. I, ha- I have yes. never, oh, yeah. ever. It's a great movie. Fantastic. Never. It's fantastic. They, they chew the scenery. They spit it out. They create new scenery to chew and spit it again. And it's historically barely accurate. Peter O'Toole is fantastic because he makes you he ma- he makes you understand that half of being a king is convincing other people that you're kingly, and um, that that's and the other actors who are stuck with playing his sons actually do a fantastic job of explaining how the Plantagenet dynasty was kind of doomed before it started because you know Henry II was kind of the peak of it. It was all downhill after that, even though Richard was technically the Lionhearted. He bankrupted England, and uh, you know John prompted the Magna Carta. Uh, it's Come for the dialogue, stay for the acting. I just really, this is one of my my Desert Island movies as well as one of my Christmas favorites. So I really love this movie. <laughs> you got Andy back on his heels. He's like, ooh, good yeah. choice. That's a, that's a good sign too. No, that, that, good. I, I, had to, I had to sort of warn myself to say, Andy, shut up because this is the sort of movie you could spend 30 minutes talking about and not let anyone get a word in edgewise. No. It is, it, it is an intensely solid choice. Mm-hmm. It is also It is also on that list of movies where it's like okay, well, I've only uh, it's, it's, that's great. I put in a lot of work uh, to get to to finish this thing on time, uh, and I got maybe another forty five minutes worth of work. But they're not expecting it till noon, and that's two or three hours away. I'm good. I'll definitely make this this finish this on time. Like, oh crap. This movie's on. There goes my afternoon. I, and, I, and I now I can't do anything but watch this. Oh damn it! Well, act of God. What can I do? It's an yeah, act of God. No, and it's it's just there's it's such a good movie. Oh yeah, I mean it, it really it, it really under, it underscores absolutely like why Peter O'Toole is one of the greatest actors that, that the past mm-hmm. fifty years have you have been working the past fifty years because you, you see him when he's on you, you see like uh, uh, Richard Harris and Peter O'Toole these other actors like when they are mostly down to playing you know richard harris or peter o'toole yeah exactly you you see you see him on on the talk shows and they have these great stories about being drunk actors in their early 20s and they're great stories but you forget these aren't these people who were on some some sort of reality show and that's how the name is out there they got they they became famous actors after 15 years of nothing but great role after great role after great role uh and this might i I think i I think that this is only my second favorite peter o'toole performance Mm -hmm. beyond only second only to his role in the stuntman because if there was ever Uh, in the stuntman he he plays he plays he plays as that uh, crazy director (laughs) exactly he plays a king in 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 that movie he plays god in this one because he plays a direct a director who like within this this realm is like if I want something to happen, it happens because I wanted it to happen. If you are on my set, I control and rule you completely. You don't know whether he's insane or a genius, but that, that the, that's the only other role where I can say, oh, it's such a hard choice to make between those two. Anyway. You can it, practically see Anthony Hopkins picking up tips in his scenes. Um, exactly. Well, and, Hop- and, and Hopkins has a good scene, too, um, when – to let you know how the family dynamics split up, uh, there are five, ma- there are six main characters: Alice, the mistress; Henry and Eleanor, the squabbling monarch slash parents; and then the three sons: Richard, Jeffrey, the conniving middle son, and then John. Two out of three of these guys will become kings. Uh, the way the way the loyalty split up is: Richard backed his mother when she tried to overthrow Henry, and put their now deceased brother and put their now deceased son Henry on the throne. There's a lot of Henrys. And John backed his father. And Jeffrey plays both sides against the middle and actually tries to make an end around and run around everybody. But um, 
there's there's a scene where Henry is wondering why Richard never warmed to him and, and why there's this huge disconnect. And Anthony Hopkins, you, you could have called. You could have called any time and I would have come to your side and you never once looked at me. And I've seen this movie about, I'd say, 10, 15 times. And every time I see that scene, it still breaks my heart. And that's because it feels fresh every time. And that's, it's it's good acting. It's it's not hackneyed. It's not cliché. It's not one of these things where you know it's coming, you can practically mouth the dialogue. It's just this very fresh, organic moment. And again, the writing is snappy and brilliant. There is not a bad performance in the lot. The historical details really throw you into to, um, to the mindset where you understand how it can be that parents and children are actively scheming to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just And it's set at Christmas, so it's festive. Wee! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but really, basically the same plot as Black Christmas. So but most most films spring spring from yeah. Black Christmas. There are no virgins to be killed in this film, yeah. so you know everyone lives. Hooray! <laughs> Jason, I'm confused about something. I think there's still one package left to open tonight. <laughs> one, one package left to open. Yes, that's right. We can just save it for the next night of Hanukkah. Is it? Is it? I want to know if is it full of burning crap or is it full of something delightful? It's it is full of delightfully burning crap. No. Um, <laughs> I have my my selections, and first I'm going to say that the, the, uh, I I had to choose between two episodes of animated TV series that aired on Fox, so it was a, <laughs> it was a close one because I dearly love and perhaps will induct in a future holiday movie vault um, the episode of Futurama called Xmas Story, wherein Ooh. wherein Santa is a murderous robot that <laughs> that uh, strikes fear into the population of Earth as he tries to kill everybody. A voice of John Goodman. Uh, which I believe they actually didn't air originally because they were afraid of how awful it was. I think I confirmed this with David Cohen. Sorry, Glenning. Glenning. Uh, when the latest series came on, and uh, it was they had to delay it. I think a year because it was so horrifying and terrifying to the studio executives. I don't think they could bring themselves to air it. But by the next year, they'd already destroyed the show uh, viewership enough. The studio was willing to uh, – that I was willing to show it because they didn't think anyone was watching at that Cause, point. Because Santa has like weapons and he tries to kill everybody. That's uh, – and, and uh, <laughs> Not as good as Black Christmas it's, it's, though. It's good. Um, and that's how they celebrate Xmas in the year 3000 mm. is, is they, they honor the murderous Santa – um, and the the episode here's a little uh, trivia bit. The episode begins with the uh, super title uh, based on a true story. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Uh, but no, I'm not. I'm not actually gonna gonna pick that one. Instead, I'm gonna pick an episode of the uh, Fox animated series, The Tick, called um, uh, The Tick Loves Santa. Uh, the Tick was a, a Saturday morning cartoon show on Fox before it became a. Uh, a, a brief and brilliant live action uh, comedy on Fox in primetime. And uh, the animation is crude, but the writing is incredibly sharp. The writing is as sharp as the animation is crude. And Fox actually aired this episode in primetime a- as a kind of a Christmas special. And it's great. It, it, it's really clever. Uh, the idea is there's a department store. There's a guy dressed as a department store Santa, and he he uh, he's a criminal, and he gets accidentally electrocuted. But rather than dying, he uh, he has this superpower where um, multiple versions of, him, of himself are created, and thus has created the supervillain known as Multiple Santa. Uh, multiple mm-hmm. Santa decides to go ultimately to the city dam, which is has hydroelectric power, and he's going to electrocute himself and create an army of millions of multiple Santas, each of whom basically just says, ho, 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 over and over again as they swarm the city, uh, creating chaos and uh, 
and uh, just horrible crimes that happen. So that's that's the that's your superhero plot, and it has to be thwarted by the Tick and his sidekick Arthur. But maybe the best thing about it is the Tick is this character who is uh, who is very innocent, uh, and and we learn early on in this in this episode that he believes in Santa completely. He is he he's a believer in Santa, and this episode walks a line because it's a children's cartoon. Uh, that adults watched, including me, but it, it is it's, it was on originally in you know the daytime, it, and and so it never takes a position on Santa being real or not. But the Tick does. The Tick believes that that Santa is real, and Arthur doesn't. And what ends up happening is because uh, he's upset that the multiple Santa because he thinks it's Santa. And it turns out it's not. Um, Santa, however, is real, and in fact, Santa is uh, almost. Uh, He's surrounded by a Secret Service-like group of uh, elves, um, and uh, Big Red is on the rooftop. Big Red is coming down the stairs now. So, so um, Big Red, Santa, the real Santa, decides to meet with the Tick and Arthur, and they see his whole security contingent, which is elves, literally Secret Service agent elves. They've got dark glasses and little earpieces, um, <laughs> and, and the Tick comes and briefs them about about how gives him a pep talk and says, "You got to take care of multiple Santa." And as he's doing this, he occasionally just hands presents to them, just like, "And here, have this," and continues talking. Because that's that's it's Santa Claus, right? So uh, and it's taken straight. It's like okay, Santa is real, and uh, then they have to go and they they have to uh, stop the multiple Santa, and and you know it, there's ridiculous. This I think the the um, the climax is at the city dam where they they've got the hydroelectric plant, and in, in the end, of course, it all works out, and and Santa thanks them for their service and all that. But I love it because it's it's uh, it's funny. It's uh, it's uh, got a a nice take, not quite as murderous as the Xmas Santa from Futurama, but still it's funny. The bad guy is not just one Santa, but many, many Santas, uh, and <laughs> they're up to no good. And then the real Santa has to come and, uh, and give the assignment and he's treated with a sort of proper reverence. So it's a, it's a, it's a gem. And I think it's on, uh, I don't know if it's on streaming, but I know that the tick, uh, season two, I believe is on DVD. Uh, the animated series is all on DVD now and I love it. And it's a great series, but the tick loves Santa. Great episode. So I want to toss it in the vault. I read the original comic books. I read the, I watched the original cartoon series when it aired and the reruns. And yes. I even mildly enjoyed the crazy live action series. Oh, I love which, that. Which I love because the creator is Ben, what is his last name? Edlund. Ben Edlund, yeah. Like ben his Edlund. thing is, mm-hmm. you know, when we were negotiating for the cartoon, my lawyer said, just keep something back. You always want to keep something back. So we decided to keep back the live action rights because no one's ever <laughs> going to make a live action version of this. <laughs> Well, Ben Edlund, who went on to work on Angel and yeah. Firefly, I believe, and also Supernatural. Right yes. on. Very great. Yeah, The Tick is a great character, and that is a great episode. Yeah, as don't, let, don't let the cheap, cheap animation fool you. The, the, the three seasons of the animated Tick and the live-action one are, are great. But a great holiday crazy. episode. When I was trying to think, what TV episodes, have had, TV shows with Christmas episodes have I really liked? And I thought about... I thought about it for a while, and I was thinking about dramas and very special Christmas episodes and and also kind of maudlin Christmas episodes of M.A.S.H. and things like that. And suddenly I was like, oh, you know what? It's The Tick. I, I love – outside of the Charlie Brown Christmas, that would be the next place That's, I would go for a, a an animated Christmas thing. So Serenity Caldwell-related Tick trivia, which is that – Josh Molina was originally supposed to be Arthur the Moth in the live-action version of the show, but they wouldn't release him from Sports Night, even though the show had been canceled. Ah. Oh. Shameful. I know. It only lasted, what, seven episodes, four episodes of live-action yeah, version? That's but... also on DVD. I have those, too. <laughs> it's great. It's crazy it was... and great. 
Yeah, and just, created by uh, created in in my locale. It was published by New England Comics, which yes. was my comic book store growing up. Me too. Yeah, they've uh, nice. they've uh, I guess they're recoloring all the old issues of the original. They're they're gonna they're gonna sell the hell out of those twelve issues. Well, yeah, or whatever. Are, I mean there are only yeah twelve or thirteen. I had one once. I don't, yeah. I don't remember where it is though. There's a collection. I mean they, those issues are available in many forms because New England <laughs> Comics can keep making money on them. I, it's I like have flaming. I have my flaming yeah. carrot comics, but I do not have tick. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I wish uh, I wish uh, the ticks. Uh, rights were kind of resolved better because that would be yes. nice to see see more uh, more stuff than there is. Yes, in, in in high school, my my friend uh, and occasional uncomfortable contributor Jason Tachi and I uh, designed a tick role playing game, which wow. <laughs> was hilariously basically just an excuse to like screw around for a couple hours on the computer and come up with ridiculous rules for a game. I think it had skills including like doorknob operation was a skill in that <laughs> game. Um, and many other references to the series, nigh invulnerability, that kind of stuff. I so I I should say um, yes, it's, he's nigh invulnerable, not completely just nigh invulnerable. Nigh invulnerable. Um, one thing that I'm uh, not not Christmas, but Thanksgiving um, that I noticed, Michael Gartenberg, who is our our pal and was on the uh, Star Trek Two episode, uh, every year watches the two Thanksgiving episodes of The West Wing. On Thanksgiving, and I actually um, had a little bit of time while I was preparing uh, Thanksgiving dinner, and I watched uh, I watched Indians one of them. in the lobby. I, I well, Indians in the lobby, and uh, oh, what's the other one called? Noel. No, no, no Noel's um, a Christmas one. Uh, it's the a... one with the Chinese immigrants who are Christians, and they're oh, fling- Shibboleth. Uh, Shibboleth. Shibboleth. Yeah, yeah, Shibboleth. excellent. And you know, those are pretty good. I, I have my criticisms of especially later days uh, West Wing Sorkin, but uh, those were pretty good. Too, but just to throw them out there as some nice holiday episodes from holidays that aren't in December, because not all holidays are in December, as the Holiday Inn taught us, along with the lesson about horrible racism. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. This was a darker episode than I it kind was. of expected. <laughs> uh, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Like Christmas itself, but as a Jew, don't I don't really worry. have much experience with this Christmas thing. Yeah, there you are. Speak. You know, there are there any good Hanukkah anythings? I don't think there you're, are. You're not. You're Crazy forgetting <laughs> the Hebrew Hammer. Actually, oh, not. the Hebrew Hammer is an you're excellent movie. I will. I will. So Sarah Silverman is the co-star in it. No, no, it's Judy Greer who I've met. It's Judy Glenning. Greer, Glenning. I've met her. Judy Greer and Adam oh. Goldstein. And That's is, an excellent, and is, excellent is, movie. Is Hammer? Is MC Hammer in that? No, no, no. Have you not? Have you, are you not familiar with the villain. Hebrew Hammer? Oh, no, no. It's oh, not, it is basically the equivalent of a black exploitation film, film. Yes, for Jews, um, but about Jews. <laughs> it's it's like hilarious <laughs> and awesome. Would, would it be safe to call it Jew exploitation? It is, in fact, often called a Jew exploitation. There's, there's wow. a very funny, but yeah, because he's kind of got an afro and he's sort of pimped out, but he's got superpowers. There's this great bit where he and Judy Greer are fighting Andy Dick, who is Santa Claus's son, who's killed Santa Claus, I think, and. Uh, wants to take over all holidays and they're fighting away and then the sun goes down they're like oh Jew powers fading is the Sabbath and they they're drained of all their powers they're tied it's, up it's a really I don't know I saw it in the theater believe it or not oh, Mario Von Peebles it was, fan- it was fantastic it's a great movie You're it's on crazy. Netflix streaming you can get it there Mario Von Peebles is actually in this movie too Peter Coyote it's a crazy crazy film Melvin Van Peebles is in this movie well sure yeah. well, I, I, I highly homage. highly recommend it this is probably the best Hanukkah related movie 
Wow. Even setting aside eight crazy nights, I mean, it is at the. Oh, I was gonna say you're right. There's one other, isn't there? No, we don't. We don't admit that it exists. So, uh, what one of these days, what we need to do is get even more negative and talk about the things that we would like <laughs> to put in holiday mov- movie purgatory. <laughs> oh, that would God. probably be another podcast, the holiday movie incinerator. Rankin oh. Pass, Rankin Pass, <laughs> but not now. And Andy, besides, that's Andy's gig, right? Rankin Bass isn't that bad. Andy's the guy who brings you down with your beloved, with your beloved I, old things that are actually not very good. As the emissary of God on this plane, I <laughs> define the standards for sanity for the rest of yeah, the world. that's how it is. If you have a problem with that, take it up with God, not with me. Okay, well, with that, you can hear the sound effects that we, Andy is requesting that I'm not going to put in of the vault doors being closed and slammed shut <laughs> for another year. Damn. Uh, this has been this has been great. This was a lot of fun, and uh, I got some more movies that I need to go watch, including The Lion in Winter from Lisa. That's a good one that I had not even considered. That double features with the Hebrew hammer very well. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And Holiday Inn, but only the one scene. It's, it's, it's like oh. chocolate and pretzels. You wouldn't think about it, but as soon as you taste them together, wow. Yeah. All right. So this was great. I want to thank everybody for coming. Lisa, thanks for being here. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Glenn Fleischman, thank you for bringing your selection. In. Thank, thank you, you for tolerating me. Yes. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> for another year, thank you. Yes, for another year. Andy Anatko, thank you very much. You've been very good this year, Jason. I hope you get the paddle ball with the test grip that you asked for. Me too. Me too. It's at the top of my list. It's right at the top. Uh, Dan Morin, thanks for being here. I'm going to shoot somebody's eye out. <laughs> can't say who <laughs> wow find out on the next Incomparable. it is a, another dark uh, turn in this episode and steve lutz <laughs> thank you it has been a pleasure dragging your otherwise congenial holiday podcast into the horror movie ghetto it's great i, expe- I expect nothing less of you what, wait, wait what, what's that i i hear noises on the rooftop kids i think it's john Syracuse who's come to bring commentary to you go to bed because if he sees you awake he's not going to visit so Oh, he'll visit, and he'll tell you, give you an itemized list of why you should be asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And on that note, I would like to thank everybody for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. Uh, Have a a happy holiday, everybody. Right? Right? Yay. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Or or if you prefer an unhappy holiday, some of our movies will serve that, too. See you next time. This is the most special Christmas special. Special.